You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Goldsevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's a Beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest, and you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I am your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's just a sunny, clear, blue sky day, beautiful, nice, you know, early fall, because it's now actually, you know, astronomical fall, we're past the uh, equinox here. Um, you know it's fall because the students are moving in downtown and there's a hell of a traffic jam <laughs> at the University of Oregon. But, yeah, there are all sorts of things to talk about on the Bo's News Show today. We had a long board meeting yesterday. You know, went the entire day, um, it all you know, right up to 5 o'clock and uh, just talked about all sorts of stuff. We went from the courthouse to housing action plans to uh, our our tourism industry to um, you know the industrial sites in Goshen. So wide you know ranging discussions at the board meeting, along with almost a full hour of public uh, um, comment yesterday. Um, so interesting day in the board meeting. Today was a Homes for Good board meeting where we did a bunch of stuff. And, of course, there's nothing going on in the national press right now. You know, it's just kind of quiet in Washington, D.C. And, you know, there's you know nothing new when it comes to our state and, and you know, transparency things and, and, you know, no short sessions or, you know, transcripts of conversations between you know, national uh, leaders and things like that. There's nothing else going on in the news. So I'm sure there's nothing that you want to, you know, not talk to me about today. So, you know, we can talk about, you know, your your mother-in-law or your pets or whatever else, because I'm sure there's nothing out there to talk about. Just give me a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And uh, that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show here. Because um, uh, that kind of puts the little question mark up there so we know you're not just calling to listen. Um because some people do that when they don't have a computer available. They'll call and, uh, you know, put us on speakerphone and just listen. So we did go through a lot of stuff yesterday. And, you know, one of the things we got to in the afternoon was a report back from our staff, kind of a, of a, of a after-action report, so so to speak, on, on the uh, um, 
courthouse bond measure that didn't pass and and just you know what's been going on since then and you know also you know the legislature we actually you know the, the bond measure didn't pass but the legislature still gave us the bonding authority in the next biennium and basically gives us a deadline of, of um, about May of 2021 to get our act together and uh, get a local match to the state bonds and uh, they the Staff went out and did a, a small survey of folks um, that uh, voted in that election um, and tried to determine, you know, why did people vote no? And of course, as you can imagine, the top two answers were, we think the project's too expensive and our taxes are too high already. <laughs> and that was over 60% of the no vote. So, uh, you know, the tax is too high already, kind of difficult to, to change those folks' minds. Um, project being too expensive was interesting. One of the questions that was asked of people was, you know, that voted no was, were you aware that um, the sheriff and the DA's offices were also going to be in the new building? And if you knew that, would you change your vote? And there was a, about a fourth of the people said, yeah, they might have changed your vote if they'd known that. And they weren't aware of that when they cast their no vote. Um, likewise, there were people that, that weren't aware of the fact that there was um, conditions placed on the, the um, project by the board that there was going to be a um, preference in high, hiring local contractors and local subcontractors built into the project so that the dollars would be spent here locally in the community. And people would have changed their votes if they'd been aware of that too. It was, it was a little surprising that um, some folks weren't aware of some of the, the pieces of the project. Um, there was also a small portion of people that voted against it because they thought the existing courthouse was fine. You know, that sort of thing, uh, completely unaware of the fact that we're already um, have outgrown that courthouse and are renting space in office buildings around town to, to locate different functions of the court. Um, and, and I think they're even confused about which courthouse we're talking about sometimes. I think they think the federal courthouse uh, versus the county courthouse. But, you know, all that said and done, um, one of the things, you know, in my own analysis was there was no precinct in my district that voted yes. In fact, the closest it came in my district was 62% in a couple precincts uh, scattered around my district, you know, a couple in, in Santa Clara, um, and, you know, that was about it. And there were precincts that were actually 78% no. You know, that was 62% no. Uh, it was the closest it came, which means it was only 38% yes. Um, and it was far worse than that where out in Dune City, it was 78% no and only 22% yes. So my West Lane County Commissioner's District said no very loudly. So it kind of leaves me in the position of, you know, how, you know, how do you change that? Or, you know, how do I represent my district? Do I go back and ask again? Um, and one of the things I, pressed yesterday was in their their plan they kind of had to redevelop the project um, 
somewhat and then go start doing public um, uh, involvement. And I was like, no, the public has to be involved while we're redoing the project. They have to understand the decision points and, and help us make those decisions. Because you know, we, we brought in national experts to help steer us about things like who should be in the courthouse you know, to make it function efficiently. You know, one of the things that wasn't going to be in the courthouse was going to be my office because I don't need to be in the courthouse for the courts to function. I'm a county commissioner. I have nothing to do with prosecuting people, keeping the courts secure, defending people, passing judgment on people. You know, any of that function of the courts doesn't happen for me. The only thing I'm involved with is, is actually you know, the county has to supply the offices for the court, the actual building and supplying that building, which is a, you know, not a function that requires me to be in that building. <laughs> there, you know, things like the tax assessor's office was not going to be in that building because it's not necessary for the functioning of the courts. Yeah, we went and looked very closely at who should be in and who should be out so they we could have an efficiently functioning court system and also to make sure that those departments that were actually in the court building would continue to function efficiently because we didn't want to remove them from any other departments they interact with that might cause inefficiencies in other county functions. So it was kind of a, a, a double look, you know, if we're going to put the sheriff's um, command offices and administrative offices and they are court security folks and, and, uh, other offices in the courthouse, does that prevent them from interacting with other portions of who they need to interact with? And no, it doesn't. It didn't create any inefficiencies. So, you know, that was the first step was who should be in there? And then how much space do they need so that that, that building will be functional for a, a period of 60 to 100 years. That was the horizon we were looking at. And we did that based on population projections that would drive staff needs and also um, trends in court cases and how courts get used over time, uh, which has been changing, um, including less jury trials and more mediated um, settlements on the civil side. Um, and there a few other things that have changed. Um, that was all taken into account and, and we brought in national experts to try and help us with that. So we thought we had sized the building correctly and gone through all that decision thing. The problem was, is we didn't have the public involved in watching that decision process go on. So we need to go back to square one and have the public, you know, bring public in and have them involved and see if they agree with the national experts. Should the sheriff be in that building? Should the DA staff be in that building? Should the public defender's office be in that building? Should there be an office for some parole officers there so that they can have a warm handoff and the courts throw somebody onto parole? You know, and they'll be able to, to take custody straight from the courtroom into the parole system. Um, you, know, you know, who else should be there? How big should the spaces be? How many courtrooms do we need? You know, how many judges will there be in 40 or 50 years from now? You know, all those things 
you know, we didn't have the public there watching those decisions be made. That's the only way I think we're going to get people to agree on the, you know, the need, the size of the project, scope of the project. And, you know, who knows, we may go through and the public may push back and say, nah, you know, we really don't, you know, leave the share over in the old, old building, even though it's inefficient for him to provide security to the new building, but we don't want to pay for that, that, you know, space for the sheriff, even though the old building's not seismically sound. Um, they've had sewage leaks in the evidence room, you know, <laughs> we don't care. Um, you know, but that may be the answer we get from the public, but until we have the public involved in developing the next proposal, you know, Basically, it was a three-to-one no vote in my district, and it's not going to change unless we get some folks from my district in there learning about the decisions that are being made and, and helping provide some input in those decisions so that we come up with a project that the public you know, believes in. That's really when people say the price was too high, it's because they, don't believe, they didn't believe we had made those decisions well in the background. So... That was my takeaway, you know, from that, you know, that that information and and the election. What? Robin, what was that? Yeah, we're going to lose our uh, blog talk feed, but we'll still be doing the Facebook Live. Okay, so we are going to lose our blog talk feed temporarily. Here it looks like, uh, and this probably has some relation to the fact that Microsoft is pushing out more updates. They would never do that. We love Microsoft. Yes. We think Microsoft is great. Yes, yes. Um, so we apologize, folks, but we will continue to broadcast on Facebook Live. Yes, yes. And, so, yeah, and and will you kind of get, give me a heads up, Robin, when we get back on Blog Talk? Or, or are we just done with Blog Talk? I don't know if it will let us back on again because of the restrictions of it. Okay. So we're going to just continue on Facebook Live, which, you know, is a fair amount of our audience. We will make sure, um, you know, with Facebook, you can come back and watch the video anytime. So, excuse me. Yeah. And while, while Jay is trying to die, um, you can also comment uh, to Jay on Facebook, by the way. My apologies, folks, but uh, I do have my window open. Maybe there's a little late fall pollen in the air. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, as we lose our blog talk feed and, uh, you know, we hear her go off the air, I'm not sure if that's coming through on the Facebook feed. We'll just kind of continue our conversation today about some of the things that happened in yesterday's board meeting. Um, and, I, I, and I have to pause and talk a little bit about public comment. Um, you know, we see a lot of the same people over and over week after week um, and about some of the same issues. And sometimes I feel like public comment really isn't very representative of what the general county feels. Uh, we have continuously um, heard a lot of public comment about uh, climate change. And you know, the county really has to get involved. We have to have an action plan, blah, you know, on and on and on and on. Um, when I go to the grocery store or I'm out in my district, 
and people stop me and want to talk to me. And, you know, they recognize me. Aren't you a county commissioner or something like that or city councilor? You know, and I correct them. No, I'm a county commissioner. And, and, and I'm, my name's Jay Bozovich. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I recognize who you are. And they'll start to tell me about some problem or issue they have. I have yet to have somebody stop me in a grocery store, come up to me on the street, um, run into to me some other way, or send me a Facebook message about how I should be doing something about climate change. So just I want to put that out there in perspective. My constituents from West Lane County are not asking me to do anything about climate change directly. I mean, there are some people that come into public testimony that live in my district, but in general, the random public that I run into out there in the world, that is not their issue. It, it's, you know, the, there's an unsafe place in the road somewhere. Um, you know, you cut down my elderberry bush when, you, when you're mowing the right of way out in front of my house, you know, <laughs> it, you know. Uh, there's a street sign missing. I can't get a cop when when somebody stole my, you know, chainsaw out of my shed. You know, no one would come. You know, those are the sort of things I hear about. Day-to-day pieces of living and, and, and standard services in the county. You know, I, I, I'll hear about homeless situation and housing maybe. But I just don't hear about climate in a grocery store when I'm there at Fred Myers, or if I swing into Ray's here in Benita, or if I'm down at you know um, River House uh, coffee, the coffee place under the bridge there in Florence, um, coffee roasters, um, and, and you know it. I just that's just not what I hear. So. Uh, yesterday, one of the people that came to testify was actually a new voice. I hadn't heard of him before, uh, a young man named Aaron Lurch. And I didn't realize he was the person that sent me an email inviting me to some uh, something about the, the climate and uh, uh, that a youth group was holding. Uh, and I wrote him back in a very polite way and said, you know, have you uh, consider getting some opinions from, you know, some scientific opinion that, you know, might differ from, you know, what, what your, you know, the standard opinion is, you know, if you want, I can arrange to get you, you know, uh, uh, somebody that's a physicist and uh, somebody that's a meteorologist and some other scientists possibly come speak to your group, you know, cause I've, I didn't really recognize the group, uh, Sunrise Eugene or something like that. Um, And uh, he wrote me back and we had a little bit of back and forth and basically, you know, ended the conversation. Well, he came in and testified basically that I had called climate change a hoax where there was nowhere in that email interchange the word hoax got used. Um, I did send him a link to something that, you know, and basically my lead into it was, this could be just one of the many variables, you know, that might be responsible for some of the changes in our climate other than CO2. And it was a link to something about the changes in, in our orbit uh, around the sun 
uh, as the Earth orbits around the sun in eccentricity. Um, and, you know, it wasn't basically saying that was the only cause. It didn't say that none, and, and also nowhere in any of the email did I say that I disagreed that there was any warming going on and that I disagreed that there wasn't human influence in that. So nowhere in this did I say I disagreed with, with some of that. So somehow or another, he went from the fact that I just said, have you thought about, you know, listening to some of the folks from the other side and, and avoiding confirmation bias to, I, I called it a hoax. And that was his testimony in public. So I was really kind of disappointed and, and disappointed that somebody would lie about something that was so easily disproved because the email back and forth from a commissioner's office is public record. So I provided that to my fellow commissioners so they could see that I did not ever in that email mention that climate change is a hoax. And what was disappointing was in that interchange, when I mentioned, you know, not wanting to have confirmation bias, his response to me was, it, in this case, in, on this particular subject, confirmation bias didn't matter because it was already settled. And I and I and all I could think was, what a sad commentary on our education system that that demonstrated that this young gentleman, first of all, would lie about something so easily disproved in a public forum, and then secondly, in a email back and forth with me, apparent you know, because I didn't even realize who he was because the emails were coming from Sunrise Eugene, not from Aaron Lurch, um, that um, he would be, that anything would be beyond confirmation bias. You know, that, that was just amazing to me that, that somebody would completely say, you know, you know, there's no point in an argument where confirmation bias should be thrown out. You know, I, I just, I can't understand where you wouldn't want to make sure that no matter how sure you were of something that you weren't consistently just looking at information that backed up the, your surety and that you should occasionally look at contrary information just to avoid continually affirming your previous conclusions. So I, I just, it was an interesting a piece of public testimony yesterday at the board meeting. But um, uh, yeah, so, um, but you know, if getting back to, to the rest of the board meeting, you know, some of the things we talked about, uh, we did get, you know, our annual report from our um, travel lane folks on our tourism industry, which is doing really well, despite the fact that Hayward Field is under construction and we didn't have all the various track events um, this last year. We still had increases in room stays and increases in tourism spending. So we're doing, our tourism economy is doing well here in Lane County. And, uh, you know, in order to keep it doing well, a couple of things that we need to kind of think about is our 
convention facilities are undersized and we're starting to lose uh, business um, because we can't, uh, some of these conventions that have grown as they've been coming here to Eugene have outgrown um, that facility down there uh, in downtown Eugene. So we got to think about how we can expand that uh, as a community and, and that, that community resource to attracting the tourists, uh, the convention portion of the tourism business, um, along with uh, the opportunity that might be offered with an indoor track facility um, that could also double as an indoor um, sports tournament facility. Uh, it, it, the indoor track facility that they're thinking about uh, over in the Glenwood area uh, of Springfield would have what they call a hydraulically banked track, which is actually the best sort of indoor track you can have because they're not a rather than a flat track, having a bank track is a much better facility because they have to have some tighter turns in an indoor track and the banking allows the runners to really move and it makes a great, great facility for the spectators, for the athletes and everything else. But being able to lay the track banks back down allows you to convert it into like multiple basketball courts multiple um, uh, volleyball courts, uh, pickleball courts, you name it, you know, they can, you know, and, and the smaller the court size, the more of them they can put in that floor space and hold indoor tournaments in the winter. And they're seating up in the upper levels uh, of this so that it, you know, that it's not just a facility where you can hold games. It's also a facility where people can watch those games and uh, would really add to our ability to draw um, folks into the community over the entire winter um, with, uh, and fill bed spaces in the wintertime here in, in our hotels and our restaurants, you know, business in our restaurants throughout the winter here in Lane County. So that's the second facility that we might be looking at. That one might be able to be built with a little bit more private money and invested in a private side. So um, really, uh, you know, it was an interesting discussion yesterday. We also discussed uh, bike uh, tourism here and trying to improve our bike connections between cities in Lane County. And some of the first phases of our Connect Lane project, which is part of trying to, to connect those cities here in Lane County. And uh, the first pieces are happening over in East Lane. And, of course, it was kind of interesting. The hardest part about doing it was some of the routes go through national forest land, U.S. Forest Service lands, and getting them to just approve the colors and signage of the bike routes <laughs> has taken longer than any other agency involved. It took almost a full year to get the Forest Service just to approve the colors of the signs. So, um, once again, our federal government at work, <laughs> as uh, we try and do some innovative uh, tourism work in, here in, in uh, Lane County, uh, it, our federal government kind of gets in the way sometimes. But, you know, we heard, heard about tourism yesterday. We also got into an affordable housing action plan um, kind of update that we, it wasn't really the actual plan that was presented to us is just an update of that plan of, of the progress of developing a plan. And they didn't even really present a plan. 
yesterday. But at the same time, later in the day, we had an update on our upcoming winter strategies um, um, to help protect the homeless during the winter, you know, cold and rainy season, uh, which, you know, we were doing more and more every year. And, and you know, we started out with, with just um, starting to do the Egan Warming Centers at a very small scale to where we're, you know, we've got these dust to dawn centers. We're providing um, overnight car camping in parking lots. We're, you know, there are all sorts of things that we're continuing to expand that that capacity. One of my concerns was all those things take resources and money. Now, I am more than happy to try and concentrate on minors that are homeless and try and get them off the street as quickly as possible because studies have shown the longer a minor is homeless and and on the street the more likely they are to become um, victims of uh, human trafficking the more likely they're to become addicted to a substance um, a a victim of a sexual crime Um, you know all sorts of um, things that will cause long-term issues for them so that if they if they're homeless for more than two weeks straight they have an 80 percent greater chance of being chronically homeless as an adult than if you can get them off the street in those first two weeks so there are only 50 to 100 minors that are homeless in any given night in lane county that's not a very big number so I'd like to see us concentrate on, let's get the youth off the street first. It's a smaller amount, get them in, get them safe, get them protected from being victimized, from being trafficked. Um, and that takes away the incoming pipeline. You know, that that's, that's the, uh, you know, if we can get those kids off the street in those first two weeks, that's less chronically homeless adults we have to deal with, with all of our other strategies in the long run. So we really ought to be focusing there. Then second, some of these things we're doing for adults, we need to be concentrating on the ones that actually have impact and being careful about not spending money on something that purely enables somebody to um, continue in behaviors we shouldn't accept. Because I, you know, as part of those people that stopped me in the grocery store, one of the things I hear, I won't go downtown anymore. Because the last time I was downtown, I got harassed by a bunch of homeless people trying to get a dollar out of me. And I wasn't comfortable because I'm a woman. And a bunch of homeless men tried to get me to give them a dollar on, on the sidewalk when I was walking between, you know, where I parked my car and the restaurant I wanted to go to. And it made me feel really uncomfortable. You know, and, and, you know, to, I, you know, my kid witnessed a homeless person doing something they shouldn't really see when they're only six years old, you know, to, you know, those sort of things. Uh, it's just, and that sort of thing, you know, are we enabling some of that to, to keep going? You know, are we enabling the folks to continue in an addiction 
that's going to change their brain pathways and damage their brain, the longer they're addicted, the harder it is to get them un, you know, you know, in, you know, not addicted to get them off the drug to get them, you know, into recovery because their brain, the brain damage that comes with the addiction. Is it useful to just provide them a place where they can continue their addiction safely? Or is it more useful to hold them responsible for being addicted and some of the behaviors like the, the petty property crime and the continuing um, habitual property crime that comes with that addiction to pay for the addiction? And, and you know, that's, uh, you know, the sooner we can intervene with those folks, the better they're, they're off. So it's sort of, you know, are we spending money, you know, providing uh, these places where they can, you know, sleep comfortably in the wintertime without any rules around, you've got to do some, you've got to be doing something positive to change your situation. And are we also just, you know, going to ignore some of the other behaviors and not really start pressing on, you know, arresting people for their property crimes, arresting people, you know, for some of their behavioral crimes and, and using that um, possible jail or prison sentence to force people to get help in some ways. Because a lot of these folks aren't willingly going to walk into help in their early stages of their addiction. But it's in the early stages you're, you're going to have the most success in stopping the addiction, addictive behaviors, getting them into recovery, and really, truly helping them. But just providing them that safe, warm place to sleep all winter at a cost of several hundred thousand dollars for the winter, for the county, the city, and a, and a bunch of other agencies, is that really the best strategy and the best use of that money? So, you know, for me, we have to start kind of thinking about balancing some of that and, and really what's the wisest, best use as we think about our housing action plans and our, our winter strategies and how this all ties together. The one thing I did tell the folks from the, from the uh, Better Housing Together Coalition and about the housing action plan was our, one of our things that they brought up was Eugene, Springfield, and Lane County is the second most constrained housing market in the nation. Now, we've been there before. We used to be second to San Francisco. Now we're second to Seattle. <laughs> but if we're that constrained, by constrained, it means there's not a lot of housing for the people. Vacancy rates are almost zero. Um, the housing inventory that's for sale is there's only about a month's worth of inventory out there, which means you know, if no one put a house on the market in less than a month, it would all be bought up and there'd be nothing for sale, which is a, a wildly high, far into the seller's market end of things. It's all about supply. The reason over 40% of people here are housing burden, which means they're spending, you know, over 30% of their income on housing is that housing cost is so high. Why is it high? Because we don't have enough supply. It's all about supply. I mean, there, 
the, the you know Google law of supply, law of demand, and economics, and and the four basic laws that work around that, and they'll come up. If you have less supply, it drives price up. If you add supply, price will fall. You know, with restricted supply, you get higher prices and lower quality. You know, that's just a natural law of economics. So for me, it's all about supply. Anything we can do to remove barriers to more housing. And I don't care what type of housing it is. I don't care if it's tiny homes. I don't care if it's a McMansion. More housing leads to lower prices. And that was my message. Supply, supply, supply. We need more housing in Lane County. That will drive the cost down. And ultimately, that helps in a lot of other areas like our homelessness, because there is a certain amount of our homeless population that is not addicted, doesn't have a mental health program, a mental health problem. You know, that they're, they're not there for those sorts of reasons. They're there because they might be somebody that um, has been widowed and their social security is not enough to keep up with paying rent and everything else. And they've just been priced out of the housing market in this area. You know, that's, you know, those people you know, I have so much compassion for. And that's where we need to think about add supply, bring the prices down, and, and get some of those folks that have been tipped out of the market purely on price. And, and, and that, that's really an important piece. And you know, if we can get the price down and people aren't spending so much on just rent, they spend it on other things in our economy. And they're able to do things like save for their, their retirement so they're not that person that ends up homeless because they're only on social security because they weren't able to put any of their own money away for retirement because they're spending 50% of their income on rent. You know, so supply, supply, supply. And we have to avoid things that constrain supply or add uncertainty so people won't invest in housing. And we, you know, one of the things we did in this state that added uncertainty was we passed that damn statewide rent control. I don't think people realize that the number of multifamily building permits dropped 40% year over year after we passed that rent control law. That's the future housing supply going down because people aren't going to invest capital unless they're certain they're going to get returns on it. There's also a relationship between uncertainty, uncertainty, and capital flow. There's another thing that you can Google. If you if you want to read a little bit about economics, but the higher the uncertainty, the more restricted the capital flow will be, and the less investment people have. It happened during the Great Depression. One of the things that extended the Great Depression in the U.S. was the uncertainty and the ever-changing economic policies of the Roosevelt White House and Congress at the time. They kept changing how they thought they could stimulate the economy or fix the economy, and that uncertainty froze capital. And there was a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines because it was uncertain how to be invested by the folks that were in control of it. So we have to have certainty, 
we have to remove the barriers, we have to increase supply. That's going to be one of the keys to dealing with our housing shortage and our, our, you know, this whole issue of housing burden around here. And it's also going to help in the homeless side. Because you know what? If we make housing less costly, it's going to be less costly for us to build affordable housing projects. You know, that, that's, you know, just, just a piece of it. You know, one of the things to making housing less costly is you got to get, you know, the cost of permitting, system development charges, bare ground and all that, that has to be cheaper. Those are things that are inputs in the cost of a house. We got to increase our supply of construction, labor, and trades. We have to, you know, get people to get into these apprenticeship programs. I don't understand this whole idea about how everybody's supposed to go to college and we're going to try and make college free. My gosh, you get into an apprenticeship program in one of the trades, they will pay you to learn. And they will pay you to get, you know, ultimately to go through and become a journeyman in that particular trade. And, you know, they start you at $15 an hour right out of the chute. 30,000 a year to learn. You know, I mean, you're working at the same time, but you're also learning and taking classes, et cetera. And as you move up the levels of skill, those rates increase pretty fast to where when, if you become a journeyman electrician right now, you're going to make $100,000 a year. You know, why are you going to invest and take out loans for over $100,000 to get a degree that may only pay you $40,000 a year. When you can get somebody to pay you to go through the training program, become an electrician or a plumber or a skilled carpenter or a metal worker, you know, a, you know, a concrete finisher, you name it. There's 100 trades out there that we need people in to make to build this housing of the future. That could be your ticket to a long-term, you know, financial well-being. So it just, you know, it's a little side piece of the whole housing puzzle. Is we got to have the people to build it too, because one of the difficulties uh, when you get into some of these multifamily, um, they're commercial construction. They can't just be built by people that have residential certifications. And so, folks that have commercial elect electricians licenses. They're 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 pretty doing pretty well because they're not that many of them versus the folks that are licensed to do residential wiring. So all you moms and dads out there, you want your kids to be lifelong well off, get them into a trade school, you know, and a trade program, an apprenticeship program. And so that's my helpful hint for the day of the Bozno show. But if you have a helpful hint for the day. Uh, call us at 646-721-9887 as we're broadcasting only on Facebook Live today because we had a blowout with our um, blog talk radio programming today. And we don't know if that's another one of our Microsoft update problem, problems, but uh, hopefully we'll chase it down before next week's Bose No Show at a regular time, 4 o'clock. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, kind of get – get 
get uh, get those ironed out for next week. Again, if you want to get in on the show here, talk about anything you want to talk about. We can talk about climate change. We can talk about housing. We can talk about tourism. We can talk about courthouse projects. Or you can be one of those neighbors that stops me in, in the grocery store aisle, you know, between the cereal boxes and the uh, the bread there and uh, tell me, you know, what, what, what's bothering you about your neighbor? <laughs> and we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, just dial us at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets you get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. And can I jump in for a second? Sure, Rob. Yeah, I just want to throw out there too is that because uh, I've noticed that like on your personal Facebook page, there's a lot of conversation going on. And if people want to call in, and you don't have to give your first name or, or identify yourself if you don't want to, and it's kind of kind of great to have a two-way conversation going on. And how often do you actually get a chance to, you know, talk to a Lane County commissioner while you're in your underwear? Yeah. Hopefully you're, hopefully you're at home in your underwear, but you know, while you're in your underwear. <laughs> yeah, or wherever you are. Um, yeah, this is why I do the show. It does offer another opportunity for folks to call in and interact as they as they wish, um, bring up topics that maybe I haven't thought of, uh, and you know, really, um, it's also my opportunity to kind of report back on what's going on in Lane County government. Occasionally, I'll bring a guest on the show to highlight a particular program. You can call in and suggest a guest for me. Um, you know, it's just it's this. You know, I want this program to be interesting to you, which, you know, if you call in, it'll definitely be interesting to you because we'll be talking exactly about what you want to talk about. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And, you know, if you're too embarrassed to call in, you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Again, that's talk at krbnradio.net. So, uh and that you can do anytime. Of course, you can always message us, you know, do the messenger thing on uh, Facebook there to our KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. Uh, you can also message me on my Jay Bozovich uh, West Lane County Commissioner page, or you can even find me uh, my personal page, Jay Bozovich. Uh, there are not too many Bozoviches on Facebook. In fact, I think most of them are related to me in some shape or form. <laughs> if that don't work, stop him at the cereal aisle. Yeah, if that doesn't work, you can find me in Fred Myers and Ray's a fair amount of times, or you know, I might be at Bush's uh, farm stand there buying some uh, great corn this time of year or some apples. Uh, you know, I get around the district. Uh, you know, you might. You know, I might be passing through Junction City or, uh, you know, even out to, you know, Triangle Lake uh, or something. You, 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 I get around. Might see me, you know, sitting on the, uh, on the outside there at Alesong having a, having a beer down in Lorraine or, you know, wherever you see me, feel free to say hello, um, you know, you know, and you can ask me, you got a minute, and I'll tell you whether I do or not. You know, if I'm there entertaining out-of-town guests, I might say, you know, can you call me, and I'll hand you a card or something like that later. But uh, for the most part, I usually say, sure. Tell me, you know, what's on your mind, you know. So, uh, I, you know, whenever you 
want to talk. You know, I actually put my my uh, cell phone number out pretty often uh, if people want to contact me that way. But you know, we we talk about a lot here on the on the Bose Nose Show. We also do something called "What Were They Thinking?" You know, on the Bose Nose Show, it's kind of a regular sort of thing. And and my "What Were They Thinking?" Uh, award for the week, and it's kind of a little award that that Robin and I developed because we kind of you know. It, it kind of came out of the, the the famous crazy eight down there in Glenwood. And I think if anyone's driven through Glenwood since they put the traffic circles in, they know what crazy eight is. Um, and, and we were kind of, we, and it, it also came with how they did the lane zigzag and, and the lanes that end without a lot of warning as you go um, westbound on 6th Avenue after they did the MX construction. And some of that traffic engineering, Robin and I kind of were, you know, talking about, you know, what were they thinking when they, you know, whoever designed that, you know? <laughs> and, and since then we kind of, you know, developed a what were they thinking award. And I'd like to give the what were they thinking award this week to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Um, you know, I, 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 I was, for the last couple of days, as they as we first heard of the quote whistleblower and this conversation between a national leader and, and our president and how you know it was inappropriate and there was a whistleblower and all that. And all I could think was that that you know Star Wars movie and and you know the, the guy that looks like the the overgrown shrimp going, it's a trap. Because I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It just seemed like, oh, this is way too easy. And the administration kind of, you know, the fact that they even said they were thinking about releasing the uh, the the transcript meant they knew there was nothing there. Because <laughs> they wouldn't even have admitted there was a transcript, <laughs> you know, in the first place if they didn't want the transcript to get out. Because it would have been very easy for them to not release the transcript, you know, based on you know uh, uh, executive um, uh, uh, privilege of of the of the that branch of government. But they went ahead and you know they kind of waited till Pelosi had finally pulled the ultimate. We're going to start impeachment proceedings, and next thing you know. Trump's out there. We are going to release the the, the uh, transcript. Sure enough, they release it. There's no nothing in there where there was any quid pro quo mentioned. Nothing that really seems to rise to the level of any sort of high crimes and misdemeanors, as far as I can I can see in what I've read of it. Um, in fact, uh, it seemed like the the president of the Ukraine was kind of leading on and trying to kind of, you know, talk about possible purchase of military weapons systems, you know, as his quid pro quo that he was sort of uh, throwing on the table. And he was the one more more talking that direction, not Donald Trump. Um, and he was actually that brought up, brought up some issues about uh, um, corruption first before, you know, Donald Trump brought some of that up uh, around Joe Biden. So it was, it was interesting that, you know, that, you know, what was 
Nancy Pelosi thinking? And behind the scenes, yeah. uh, Trump is uh, doing muttly going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it all just seemed too much like a trap to me. It's a trap. And when I was saying that to my, my wife the last couple of days, it's a trap. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my gosh, what was she thinking without knowing? How could how could you not wait to see the transcript before you pulled the impeachment trigger? And, and, and how do you pull that back now? So it would be interesting to see if, you know, they're going to pick the transcript apart word by word letter by letter and try and find something wrong in there, I'm sure. Um, over the next two weeks, we'll probably continue to hear about it, or it will suddenly die. Or I'm kind of wondering, maybe what she was thinking is, this brings to light the whole Biden, Hunter Biden, Ukraine connection over and over and over again. Is this really an attempt by the Democrat Party to get rid of Joe? Was that really what this was all about? Had really nothing to do with Trump? But still, what was she thinking? <laughs> Speaking of, I, I got an idea for a little bit of a contest for, contest for people. Sure. We got, the, we got the little guy over your left shoulder. Yep. And we should give him a name and let people uh, come up with something. Sure. Or, you know, we also open this up to, you know, you can email us or message us or call in with your what were they thinking moment, you know, where you can you can nominate people for the weekly what were they thinking awards. So, um, you know, anytime, you know, you're just kind of scratching your head going, what in the hell were they thinking? You know, <laughs> like kind of like the, the, the U.S. Forest Service where you know, they eventually did approve our signage for the bike wrap, but we had to change some of the colors. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was real important, U.S. Forest Service. <laughs> was it something other than green? Yeah, I don't know what exactly they changed. I, I just know they changed some of the colors. Uh, it, it just, you know, I don't know why. They swallowed the fly, or perhaps they'll die. No, I mean, <laughs> it's probably somebody going. You know, I think this color would look really good. It, it would kind of, but that one clashes with the trees. Yeah, I, it may be that you know the Forest Service has certain color schemes and signage, and it's a national standard. And what we were proposing in Lane County has to work in a national scale because they're thinking if they approve this bike route signage for Lane County. It's going to start, you know, other counties are going to want to sign bike routes. So let's come up with something that works in a, in a national sense in the, in the various national forests across, you know, the West here. Because um, there really aren't that many national forests west, east of the Mississippi. Uh, yeah. what, was the name of that, what was the name of that clothes designer that was on The Incredibles? Oh, <laughs> oh God, I'm trying to remember. The little woman, yeah. <laughs> no keeps, no keeps. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, that, that is, you know, I love animation a lot of times because they can get away with so much um, satire mixed into what is supposed to be a, a kid's program. And the kids don't get it, but there's so much stuff for the adults in a lot of animated movies. <laughs> 
Oh my God! Go back and watch Barn, um, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh yeah, yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle's commentary on on the Cold War from the get go, and Cold War humor from the get go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, and quite often, yeah, there's mixed mixed in humor about the ineptitude of, of bureaucrats and the military high command mixed in there and. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, at Frostbite Falls. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, but you can get, you can see little pieces of satire in all sorts of uh, animated movies that just jump at you, and 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 The Incredibles has a bunch of it mixed in. <laughs> I really enjoyed that that movie. It was not meant for just kids. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's uh, we go wide ranging here on the Bose Nose Show. We you know, start out with talking about, you know, it's a trap and Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably how you should open the show. It's a trap. And yeah, uh, it <laughs> just says that, you know, we, we have fun on the show, too. We do. And, you know, it's funny. You know, Joe Bernie sits next to me in our board meetings, and I'm kind of off on the end now, the way that boards sit, you know, we, we rearranged after the chairmanship changed, you know, uh, and I ended up sitting next to Joe Bernie, and Joe Bernie and I, of course, don't always agree on policy, but Joe and I are only a couple of years apart in age, uh, you know, relatively, and a lot of times, him and I, somebody will say something, and both of us look at each other and we know it's a title or a phrase in a, in a song that was popular that we'll know that most people won't. <laughs> <laughs> and all I have to do is kind of hum a little bit of the melody and he'll bust up. <laughs> uh, and it's one of those things. It's just, it's pretty funny. You know, even though sometimes our board, you know, doesn't seem to be getting along on policy very well. We're all, we all are pretty respectful. And we, you know, one of the things that I wish would come into our public comments sometimes, and Joe Bernie made this part of his commissioner's remonstrance yesterday, and I really appreciate him for that. And I kind of appreciate the relationship Joe and I have. It's very respectful and, and, and um, you know, built on being civil and, and understanding that even though we have differences, he thinks what he thinks and believes what he believes because he believes it's what's good for Lane County. And I think what I think and I believe because I think it's what's good for Lane County. And we both start from that position and then we can have a civil conversation. But it seems like lately a lot of our public comment, people come in assuming that we're, we're just evil because we haven't acted yet. We're bad people. Um, you know, you, you name it, they're assigning motivations to us. Um, you know, I constantly hear public comment about how I must be in the control of the timber industry because I took money during my campaign from timber companies uh, to help pay for my campaign. You know, and there's this assumption that I'm, that I, you know, I'm just a stooge and a stoolie for the timber industry. Yeah. <laughs> So it just amazes me, and I just hope people can be a little bit more civil in our public comment period and and pay attention to Commissioner Bernie if you won't pay attention to me about that, if you're from that 
political persuasion and listen to his words around being civil. So with that uh, advice on being civil when it comes to politics, because, you know, it helps with your family members and friends, too. <laughs> uh, you want to get rid of them. Yeah, no, no, unless you want to get rid of them. But, you know, as we're signing off for the Bo's No Show, be polite. We'll be back next week here at 4 o'clock on the Bo's No Show at a regular time, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a peaceful and civil week. Thank you.